Hello, and welcome to Stuff Mom I Forgot to Tell You. I'm Monica Francois Marcel, a Gen X founder, entrepreneur, and baseball mom based in Chicago. And I believe that if we're very lucky and work very hard, life will be long and it will be messy. So to help us with the mess and provide tips for longevity and joy in what lies ahead, each episode, I'm borrowing either the mother of a friend or a trusted mentor that I greatly admire. This is a diverse group of women who've been there and done that, and you are going to love their stories. My own mom isn't here anymore, so the stuff these women share is precious to me, and their cross-generational pearls of wisdom are just what we all need. I'm so excited for you to join us, so let's jump in. Today, I am with my dear friend, Linda Delavalad. I am so excited to have her be a part of this project. Linda, you want to say hello? Hi. How's everybody? Hope everybody's great. I'm excited about this. Aw, and we're so excited to have you, Linda. Linda's in Florida now. She spent years um, up here in Chicago with me, and uh, she has relocated and has a whole new life. We'll get to that in a little while. Um, Linda, first, just you know, thank you again for being a part of this. Our goal, as you and I have discussed, is there's not a lot of information that I think people get access to, not a lot of stories about how to live a great, intentional, purposeful aligned second half of our life as women, right? I think we get a lot of coaching and advice about, you know, the early years and how to get ready for, you know, maybe your early career and maybe becoming a parent and some kind of pivotal milestones. Um, I just turned 53, Linda. And uh, as I'm thinking about what comes next, you know, I realized that I would benefit greatly from conversations like this one today with the wisdom of women who have been there and done that. And so I'm calling on um, you, to today, just kind of share some of your story. And uh, hopefully this will just be a great conversation, nice and casual. And I'm looking forward to hearing from you. The first question is, just thinking back to when you were a little girl, Linda, tell us a little, you were talking a little while ago um, with me, kind of off off the recording about your your own mom and how you have a video, for example, of, of things that your mom shared with you and just her being her. And so I want to take you way back to when you were very young and if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about what your life was like growing up. And in particular, what do you remember about anything that your own mother wanted for you when you were young? Uh, oh. What did you want for yourself when you were young? What were some of the expectations people put around you? What was some of the messages that you got when you were very young? Would love to hear some of that. Well, again, thank you, Monica, for giving me an opportunity to share a little bit of my life and what I've experienced. So going back to when I was a little girl. So first of all, let me let me share my parents. My mother, Emma DeLavalade, father, Herman DeLavalade. My father was married twice. So with his first marriage, he had two daughters. And then with my mother, he had five. So he had a total of seven girls, no boys. I was the wow. seventh daughter. Wow. He wanted a boy. He wanted me to be Herman. But uh, <laughs> my mother said, no, you cannot name her Hermanetta. Thank goodness she named me Hermine. So I am Linda Hermine de Lavalette. Oh, de Lavalette is my maiden name. I took okay. it after the divorce. But back in the day when I was a little girl, you know, again, I was the youngest. I was seven daughters. And so I had all my sisters, you know, constantly. I was watching them and, you know, what were they doing? And my, uh, when we would all get together for every holiday, no matter what, you know, we would all go to my oldest sister's house, you know, for New Year's. And for Christmas, 
we would all, you know, gather around the Christmas tree, the whole bit. And what I remember the most was that I only got black dolls for Christmas. And I just never was even aware that there were white dolls because my family and everybody around me would only give me black dolls. And I just thought that was just the way it should be. And my mother would say that, you know, she wanted me to just be proud of who I was, you know, and, you know, don't be afraid, you know, to stand up for yourself. You know, there's going to be times when you're going to be up and down. But my mother was, you know, she worked uh, and my father had his own newspaper agency. So he had his own business. My mother was behind the counter of the uh, storefront uh, where she we sold magazines and candy but it was really a storefront for my father's business. Uh, but again, what I saw were six women who were my sisters and how they actually was pursuing things that I just thought was normal, you know, going to college, you know. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, just, uh, you know, working, you know, uh, be getting married, having kids, taking care of them. And I just thought that was naturally what I was going to be about. And my mother... When, uh, because I was the youngest, my mother kept saying to me, you know, look, you need to do what you want to do and, and be what you want to be. But here's the interesting thing about my mom. She didn't get her GED until I graduated from high school. Wow. So I had no idea, you know, that she had not, you know, finished her schooling. Uh -huh. I had no idea, you know, but she was secretly studying, you know, to get her GED at the same time that I would get my high school diploma. So that was, again, a big eye-opening, you know, uh, you know, just keep going at it. And so when I graduated from high school, you know, I thought, hey, I was so smart. Let me just go to Chicago and work. I, we were living in Gary, Indiana. I said, let me just go to Chicago and get a job. So I got a job. And then you know, I said, well, let me find another job because I thought I was working in a mailroom. So I got a job at a company called Nalco Chemical Company. And I was the first black person they had ever hired. And I was in their legal department, their patent law department. And I wanted to, you know, continue growing. They had me as what they called a glamorous errand girl. <laughs> they would give me money. I would take documents. And I would get on a plane at O'Hara, fly to D.C., hand off the documents, get back on another plane, and come back to Chicago. Wow. So I was literally just, you know, delivering work, you know, uh, in D.C. But wow. they said, Linda, you need to get your uh, college degree. So they helped me complete my application. They gave me money for my ticket to Southern University in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Uh, they gave me money for clothing. They bought my books and they sent me off to, to college. And so, uh, you know, I just, I've always had my family, my sisters, my mom, my father was always working, you know, and, you know, he had seven daughters. So he was just trying to stay alive. <laughs> right? right. You know, he, he wouldn't even remember our names. He would just be yelling out anybody's name. Uh, because I did, My dad did that too. My dad did that. Hey, anybody, come and uh, change the channel. You know, we were the remote controls back those days. Right? <laughs> but, you know, my memory again was of my mother 
was diligent because she was always working. She was always put together, always her hair. As a matter of fact, as you can see, I have red fingernail polish. My mother wore red fingernail polish all the time and red lipstick. And I have always worn red lipstick and red fingernail polish because I always thought that was my connection to my mother. She told me that, you know, ladies never drink out of a bottle. We always drink out of a glass. Hmm. Uh, that ladies, we never smoke cigarettes. Uh, we don't drink. So I've never smoked and I don't drink, you know, uh, alcohol, wine, nothing. It's just some of the things that my mother taught me and said, as a woman, you know, this is who I should be. So those were, those were some of the things that, you know, I experienced, you know, growing up. And what I remember, you know, my mother being proud of me because I continued to try to, to do things and to, to be places uh, where others may not have traveled, you know, before. What a powerful example that um, your mom set for you, right? At the same time that you were getting verbal messages in terms of like affirmation about who she wanted you to be and values, she was role modeling it by doing the work of getting that yeah. education. It couldn't have been easy, you know, with seven girls at home. Um, <laughs> it's not easy under any circumstances, but especially there. Did she graduate around the same time you did then, Linda? Yes. It like yes right she got the same year? around the same time. And wow. here's what's interesting, because once she retired, she started going to the library in Gary and teaching uh, reading. So she was teaching adults how to read. And so that was her. She was always in the library. So when my daughter, when I had my daughter, she would take my daughter to the library with her as she was doing uh you know, coaching and helping people, adult men, how to read. And uh, she was also an artist. So she was always in art shows. Uh, and, you know, we've got everybody in the family has some piece of art that she created, you know, somewhere in the house. Oh, how beautiful. Uh, so she, she and my father, they met at the YMCA in Chicago. She was the art teacher. He was the uh, coach, wow. the basketball coach. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's how they met. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Is that YMCA that they met at? Is it still there? Yeah, uh, 35th. I think it's 35th in Indiana. 35th in yeah, Indiana. Yeah. So, and, you know, my father, Herman DeLable, Creole. He I did not know that. Me. Okay. Yes. My, my father, very, very fair skin, to the point that people thought he was white. I remember coming, running home from, from school one day. And crying, I said, they call me a mulatto. They call me a mulatto, you know. Whoa. And my father said, oh, my goodness, get the dictionary. And I said, well, it says there that, you know, people of different races. Or I said, well, which one of you is different, you know? I, you know, I didn't get it because he was my father. You know, I thought he was black, you know. It was no question about it. But to everybody else, when they right. looked at us and looked at him, he looked white. So he would get jobs based on how he looked. My mother was very dark-skinned. So here's one story. My father was working, and uh, he had forgotten his lunch, and my mother decided to bring the lunch to him. She comes in. She said, I want to drop off the lunch for my husband. And the man says, uh, we don't have any, back those days, Negroes working here. And my father had to get up. He lost his job. But that was, you know, that was life back in those days, you know. But... Uh, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So my father and his sisters, 
all pretty much could pass for white their entire lives, you know, but my father was always attracted, you know, to brown-skinned girls. So, so that's why I'm where I am. Well, you know, I want to um, I want to pause for a second and say, I know you said that that's just how things were. And uh, I know that it's your lived experience. I want to acknowledge that it's not that way for everyone. And it's just, unfa- you know, I, I want to point out and make space for the fact that it's how it was for so many, right? But certainly, you know, my family doesn't have that kind of a story. So I want to thank you for oh. sharing that and um, make room for that. And I know that this is part of the work that you are so committed to dedicating your life yes, to um, correcting, am, right? Because right? right. you've lived it. Um, before I get to a kind of the work that you do, yes, I'm going to give you a segue, which is I'm very intri- interested in the fact that your mom... Um, not only like showed to you directly how important more education is, but also that she then went on, even after she retired to, um, you know, volunteer her time to, yes. again, continue people's education and development. Uh, do you see a parallel right there with yourself, Linda DeLavala? I do. In terms of, have you reflected on that? That like, huh, interesting. So um, that transition, see, like I said, seeing my mother, she was always working with just adult men because she always felt that they were not, they were embarrassed about the fact that they couldn't read. And so she had like, I think two or three guys that she was working with. And then they would go on, you know, because they, you know, pick up the skill. But I always thought that that's the legacy that she left, that she had touched, you know, one, two, five, ten people and help them to transition from a world where they felt inadequate because they were not able to read, that they were able to read. Then here I come. Eventually, um, I found myself at Abbott Laboratories Pharmaceutical Company. I was their first contract recruiter. Hmm. And um, the uh, lady that uh, I was replacing. She was going out on vac- on uh, maternity leave for six months. And I knew her because I was part of a technical recruiters organization or so. And she said, well, Linda, you know, I know you don't have your degree. I said, you know, I'm going to school at night. She says, come on, you know, I'm going to tell her that we need to have somebody who really knows what they're doing. So I was in the role for six months. I did, I was recruiting technology, which I'm a technical rock, so I absolutely knew who, what I was doing, but I did my best. Uh, but I got an offer from Arthur Anderson Company, uh-huh. you know, because she was coming back from paternity leave. So I asked the top technical, you know, leader, could he give me a reference? He says, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm, I'm leaving uh, and I'm going to be going to another job. And he said, why aren't you going to stay here? I said, well, I was told that you had to have your degree. I don't have my degree. I'm still going to school at night. So he started talking. Next thing I know, I was offered a job at Laboratories Pharmaceutical Company as a recruiter. And uh, I was there for six years. I got a promotion to a journalist role. And (laughs) the day, the first day that I started, I was so excited. And my new manager came to me and said, Linda, there's a problem. I said, what's going on? He said, it seems like you falsified your application. What do you mean? She says, well, it says here you have your degree, but uh, we have been informed that you don't have your degree. I said, oh, I do have my degree. She said, well, when did you get it? I said, last night. I walked over the 
you know, got my degree last night. I knew I was graduating. That's why I applied for the job. And I knew that the start date would be after my graduation. So it turns out the woman that had brought me in for the six months, she's the one who told them that, that they had made a mistake by hiring me. So, you know, wow. those were some of the things. You know, why did she do that? Uh, she was, I think she was a little jealous. She came in and cried to me and said, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I said, I wish you had just asked me or talked to me about it. Uh, many people said I did a better job at recruiting in those six months oh, Linda. than she did. And that she was being asked to do things that I was doing So uh, she when she so returned. So she felt she threatened. A little, a little threatened, I guess, yeah. So anyway, but, you know, so I was I was there at Abbott Laboratories, and then oh, and I that. had the chance to go to Hewitt Associates. So they hired, well, first of all, I interviewed, and they turned me down because they said they hired, they said I was too assertive, too aggressive, and that, you know, they needed somebody a little bit, you know, less. But within six months, they came right back at me because they said, well, our technical leader is tough cookie. He does not take any mess you know, and he's going to be rough, but we'd like to have you interview with him. I interviewed with him. He loved me. <laughs> so I went to Hewitt Associates. And then, um, you know, I was there. I was a, a staffing manager. Uh, I had a team of recruiters. I had, you know, admins. I uh, actually was one of my hiring managers that I serviced was Andreas Tapia. He was in charge of learning and development. And so that's how I met him. Uh, but then he asked uh, if I could teach a diversity course on the side. I said, well, I'm so busy. And I, okay, let me do this really quickly. Next thing I know, I was doing it over and over again. And so here I am. Uh, <laughs> so I was at Hewitt for nine years. Uh, I became the global program manager of diversity education curriculum. Had the opportunity to travel to India, Poland, England, Canada, all over the United States, teaching cross-cultural competence sessions. And then I left there uh, because of uh, Aon Insurance uh, asked, what, did you, what do you do, Linda? I said, I do cross-cultural competence. I, I build communication skills across. And they went, huh? Uh, okay. So they said, got to let you go. But all state insurance hired. And they were just introducing IDIs to them. So that's when I started working with their claims organization. And I traveled all over the United States uh, doing train-to-trainers, you know, starting up, you know. So I was accountable for all the, all the, you know, the trainers, for, you know, the facilitation guys and everything. And then Allstate was going through a process of change. And then um, I was laid off there. So then I said, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? You know, people kept saying, well, go look for another job. And I'm like, wow, I don't know if that's what I really want to do right now. And then I got a call from a friend of mine. I think her name is Monica Marcel. <laughs> anyway, she called me and said, hey, would you be open to doing a couple of IDIs? For I'm like, yeah, because I'm thinking that's easy as, as heck. And so that's how I started doing, you know, being a, an IDI qualified administrator and started doing IDIs. And so with that transition was what my girlfriends would always say, Linda, you've got this golden skill. You're not paying attention to it. 
you've got to pay attention to it. And it was my IDI work and it was my cross-cultural communication and how I could talk with them and how I could talk with my friends and family and how I was always the one that people would pull in, you know, to have conversations. Little did I know that that would, you know, grow into something that is now a legacy of mine. I Really? I know I've talked to thousands of people at this point. I mean, last year I taught, I had 520 IDIs. Wow. Video calls, Zoom calls. Can so, I invite you just to share it for people that um, don't know, what is the IDI, both in terms okay. of what, it, what, the, what the term is and then talk a little bit about what it does, because I think it would be really um, great to hear you just kind of elaborate on what the tool is and, and how it's administered and, and what it does. Great. So the IDI is the Intercultural Development Inventory. It is a 50 questionnaire, online questionnaire, that helps individuals to understand how they think they come across when, they're in, when they are reacting to cultural differences and how they may actually be functioning on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's the difference between belief and behavior. What a great legacy. And I love the way, I don't know if you know this or not, but you used the word legacy only twice so far. Once when you were thinking about the legacy that your mom left by teaching all those adults, right? And the first time I heard you use it in your own context, it's kind of similar, right? Where it's about, you know, she was maybe giving, you know, reading competence and um, reading literacy. And here you're doing cultural competence and this idea of cultural literacy. And I absolutely see it as a legacy. And I know that you are phenomenal at it. And I feel really good knowing that on Monday, you're going to do, you know, a whole <laughs> bunch of these with people that touch other people's lives to try to read them in, in some ways, Absolutely. right? So again, we're using those words reading. Can I ask, I want to focus in on a couple of things that you kind of glossed over uh, very modestly as you were going through your story that I want to unpack just a little bit if I can. So one is, uh, you know, you did a lot of that, you know, you had kids, right? You have some beautiful children and I have heard about, you know, your grandchildren and things also for, for years now, Blake in particular. And I'm wondering, what was it like a little bit when you were doing all this work, you know, while raising these kids? And in particular, I'm going to make it easier for you. I want to give you a question. Do you have any advice when you look back on other working moms, right, um, as they're going through it, as they're in the middle of it? You know, my own son's now 12. I'm sure that you coach, you know, your own children a little bit on on what they might tackle, I'm just curious, Linda, like anything that you didn't do for yourself when you were in those earlier years um, with your career or anything that you did do that you think was very wise that you want to pass on either way? Well, I was a single mom, so I was divorced. So, you know, you have all of that being Linda. You got all of that. And then you have two kids, right? Uh, there's eight years difference between my two. And the one thing that, you know, I think about what are some of the things that I can't even remember how I made it through some things. Mm -hmm. You know, I think back and I go, okay, today I'm saying, wow, you know, I have red fingernail polish. But I remember there was a time when I had no clue how I was looking or cared about how I was looking. But what I had was some very close friends and they were the ones who I could would tap me on the shoulder Hey, wait a minute, where's Linda? I remember my daughter, because when my son was born, you know, when he was, you know, I was going, I was always, it was about Tariq, Tariq, Tariq. 
And my girlfriend said, uh, Linda, you know, Tariq is not your husband. Tariq is not your, it's not your man. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and she said, you are spending so much time on him. You know, she said, you're not spending any time on you. And I was like, wow. It was something that I just never thought about. And it was something that I realized that I had to be Linda. I had to make me happy, you yeah. know, that it's not just being a mom. I right. was more concerned about being that mom and I wasn't paying attention to being me. You know, now I knew I had to work. I knew I had to make, bring the money home, you know, whatever. You know, I had mortgage. I had all of this I'd take care of, but I wasn't paying attention to me. That's when I realized that I had to figure out how do I take time out to enjoy myself? So I love dancing. In Chicago, there's a dance called Steppin'. And, oh, uh, <laughs> man, you know, so as a single mom, you know, so how do I get out stepping? Well, thank goodness there was a, a stepping set, as we called it, on Saturday afternoons. At 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I could go to this lounge, a bar, and it would be packed with people dancing. And that's all we were doing, dancing, and maybe we had a little something to eat, you know. Uh, you know, I don't drink, so, you know, uh, I was never drinking. But my girlfriends, single moms, we would all just meet up there, and we would support each other. So that support group was key, you know, to me remembering Linda and taking care of Linda as well as work, as well as my son, as well as my daughter. Uh, and that was uh, that was a big aha for me because, you know, I just thought that, wow, if I'm going to have to be a mother, I have to dedicate every living second of my life and my time, you know, dedicated to my kids. And that made them more independent as well as helped me, you know, as well in, in maintaining, you know, who I was and, and still being Linda instead of just being mama, uh, you know, at all times. So when you think now about other messages, right? Well, to, let me go a different direction first. What's next for you, right? So for like, so thinking about, this is a nice segue. You've accomplished a lot. You know, you're doing great work still. Thank goodness. You're surrounded by your family. What are you excited about? What are you planning for these next decades of your own life? That's my first question. So again, I have very close friends and I have groups of friends. I don't know if they all got together. I don't know if there would be a big fight or I don't know what would happen. <laughs> <laughs> they are so different. So I'm 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 a part of the Gurney Girls. We were four black women in HR at Abbott Laboratories. We have traveled every year, St. Lucia, Puerto Rico. We're leaving to go back to Puerto Rico in January, but we travel all the time. I have all my high school team, you know, uh, classmates. And we just have something every year because, you know, we're at an age now where people are, you know, moving on in life. And so, you know, I have them. So right now it's like, what can we do that we can all get together? So right now, just being around people that I love, being around family, being around friends. Okay. My son has a business. It's um you know, golf travel, golf hats and gloves and belts and everything. So he's off doing all that. But, you know, he said, hey, you know, maybe you can help out when we have an event, you know. You oh, can just nice. come and be at the uh, table, you know, to 
check people in or something. So he's trying to keep me involved that way, you know. Uh, and uh, my daughter's telling me about trying to, you know, see if I have an artistic bone in my body, you know. Uh, so <laughs> and you don't that, know yet if you do? It hasn't been determined yet? <laughs> I, you know, it, it's scary, you know. It's scary to even think of it. But my thought right now is how do I stay around people that I love? Yeah. How do I make sure that I'm laughing? Yeah. How am I happy? Because I only want to do things that's ha- that I'm happy. I feel like it's my responsibility to help other qualified mm-hmm. administrators of the IDI to understand what I've learned. I mean, I'm doing this every day. It's like, you know, I don't even have to study anything, you know, or look at anything. I right. just feel very comfortable. So my thought is, you know, part of my legacy is, is making sure that I'm sharing what I'm learning with others. Uh, as a matter of fact, someone this morning uh, sent me an email from Spain. She's a QA asking me about something. And I must have wrote this long email back. You know, here's my thoughts about this and that and that. You know, so my thought is, how can I help others? Yeah. You know, so here's something. Uh, When I just said that, I guess I've been doing this my whole life and didn't realize it. Because uh, on the side, I used to help single mothers figure out how to get child support through the court systems because I went through it and I did it by myself. I didn't have the money for a lawyer. So I figured out how to file the paperwork, how to get it, uh, you know, served, everything. I used to have sessions, one-on-one sessions with single mothers to help them figure out how to do child support. And it's kind of like what I'm doing now is I'm trying to help other people, QAs, you know, who may not have the, won't have the experience, you know, of doing 54 within two weeks, right. you know, and learning from that. And so I'm hoping that I can help them, you know, by sharing that. You're in that sweet spot of, um, and not everyone gets to be there. So I just want to acknowledge that of being great at something that you love, that also you can make some money at, right? <laughs> so that is so many people's goal, right? I, I hear people talk about that all the time, that they're in pursuit of that. And like you, you know, I've been fortunate enough to find that, you know, sweet spot, you know, different times in my life. And so it's great to hear the way you describe it, um, Linda DeLava a lot. Is there a certain kind of, it could be a prayer, speaking of faith, it could be um, a mantra, it could be a motto, it could be a saying. Is there anything that you find that you uh, repeat to your kids or to yourself often that kind of helps you in life? I always say that um, everybody doesn't have to be in every season of your life. You said that to me the other day. You said that to me yesterday. Mm -hmm. Some people are are meant to come in and then move out. And, you know, don't be Don't worry about, you know, what happened to him? Why? You know, I mean, sometimes it happens, you know, you, you enjoy them while they're there. And then if there's a reason why they're no longer in your life, it is what it is. And so you just have to move on. Uh, Appreciate what you learned from that situation or that time or that, or that topic or that individual. And then you move on because there's going to be new people coming in, you know, to your life. That is a lesson I will admit I'm still learning. (laughs) So I hear that and I know it's true when I receive it. And I will say that's one that I know I am still learning. So thanks for reminding me of that one. 
There's toxic um, people even in your family. Right? Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by, again, some really, really, really amazing people, but it's also just a reminder that, yeah, that I'll, I'll leave, what you said is better. So we'll leave it at that. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Two more, two final questions, Linda. So yes. the first one is um, selfish for me. And then the second one's going to be for your family. So for me, any advice for me, you know, you know me pretty well. Um, I've been lucky enough. We didn't get into all the details of this, but the very first day I started working with uh, Hewitt Associates, I met you in <laughs> the hall. I remember it clearly. I remember uh, like it was yesterday. I remember you said something about how we train dogs. We don't train people. We educate and develop people. And I thought like, wow, who is this woman with all the snappy um, one-liners that are just so compelling <laughs> and right on, you know? Uh, but I remember very clearly, you know, that you've been pivotal, you know, in so much of my thing. So I'm just curious and you can say you don't have any, but any advice or ideas for me about my next decades and how I might take some of your wisdom? Well, what I want to say to you, Monica, Miss Monica, is that I want you to know that you have touched so many people through your training, through your interactions with them. You've made a difference. I mean, you made a difference for me, you know, We've worked together, like you said, like I think almost all 20 of those years that she was at LCW. But the only advice I can say is, you know, just do what makes you happy. You've got a 12-year-old. He's growing. You're going to love, you know, being with him. You're on a fast, you know, you've been on such a fast pace. And even how you talk, you know, you talk very fast, right? And so, you know, people tell you to slow down. Monica, slow down because, you know, okay. But that's because... You knew what you wanted to do, right? My my mother used to tell me, Linda, stop talking. Let your mouth catch up with your brain because she knew I was thinking something much further. That's you. You know, and I remember I could watch you and your eyes would go up to the ceiling and you'd be talking really fast, but your eyes be up because your brain has moved so much further than your mouth and your mouth is trying to catch up with your brain, right? So my mother's statement is, was good for you, is that you might just need to slow down just a little bit because everything right now is going to be so important to you and it's going to make such an impact on what happens tomorrow and the next day. That question was not meant to be a uh, feed Monica compliment now, but I take it and I appreciate it. And I also know there's wisdom in there for me. So I, I, I take that to heart. My final question is more for you, for your for your kids, right? So our, our project is called Stuff Mom I Forgot to Tell You because we want to make sure that things don't go unsaid. And it sounds like you have a beautiful relationship, which is fantastic. And so there may not be anything that has gone unsaid, but is there any message right now that you want to either reinforce or has this conversation made you think of just one final thing that you want to say, you know, to your kids and your grandkids? Well, I don't want to get emotional, but I just love them so much. I just wish everything for them, you know, you know, be smart, be careful, be aware of who you're around and, and who wants to be around you. Know that. You know, God has a plan for you and it's for you. It's not for anybody else. So, you know, don't look around at what other people are doing. Just, you know, know that you're in your life and God has a plan for you. And his plan is to is for you to prosper and to be healthy 
And you just have to follow through and trust him in all that you do. You know, it's okay to get emotional. Um, uh, yeah, don't get me. I'll it's good. all right. It's okay to get emotional. We, we've gotten emotional here a few times. You know, when I think uh, my goal has been more than achieved, which is to selfishly, A, get time with you and uh, reconnect, and B, just to hear you talk. I could hear you talk literally for days. This makes me realize we need to talk a lot more often because um, just being around you inspires me, Linda. It really does. So you've, you're living. I wouldn't say you've lived. You're living an amazing life. Um, do you have a sense yes. Will there be a retirement date ever for Linda DeLavalade or is Linda going to just like some people around us keep doing this stuff forever? Right now, I just got an email yesterday from uh, uh, Artel Smith saying, okay, um, I want you next year to do. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Okay. You know, so as long as people want me, it's it's a gift. I I appreciate it, you know. I am, you know, my age, I am getting older and, yeah, you know, but, uh, you just got to charge more. That's all. Make make them pay more for whatever, (laughs) you know, say I'll do it, but you know, I got, I got, I got to charge more, right. You got to find a way to, I know, you know, but people, you know, they'll say, but Linda, we need you. I know. I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. I know. I know. Well, thank you so much, Linda Lavalad. And um, I am so thrilled that you've been a part of this project. And I'm so happy to hear that you are going to go off today to watch, you know, your grandson at a flag football game. I know he's going to do well. <laughs> and so that just makes me happy that you're able to really not juggle, but I'm going to say incorporate, right, all of these different aspects of you into uh, what you do next. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. Namaste.